Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Peer into Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Newcomb. Today, we have a great guest. His name is Dr. Don McCourtney. He holds a PhD in psychology from the University of Nebraska. He also has an MBA from an online school in California. He is a registered peer recovery specialist, as well as certified older adult peer specialist, and also a certified problem gambler counselor. He is the lead problem gambling recovery services coordinator at the Office of Recovery Services through Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services, also known as DBHDS. And we are glad to have him here. Don, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. I appreciate being here. Thank you for asking to be involved. Oh, you're welcome. We're glad to have you. I've been looking forward to this interview. So why don't we get right into it? Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, kind of your story of origin with recovery, how you, you know, got into peer services for yourself and recovery, and then we'll we'll segue into what you're doing now at DBHDS as the lead problem gambling recovery services coordinator. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> actually, I'm I'm I always say I'm very fortunate. Uh, I have uh, uh, I'm a person in long term recovery. I have 49 years of uh, not using the my drug of choice alcohol or any other mood altering substance wow uh, that is uh, we got to pause for a second on that one 49 years that is that is that is amazing that is really awesome congratulations you. on that thank you i <clears throat> actually i became addicted to to uh alcohol when i was 15 and a half years of age and um was well into my well into my addiction uh, long before before I left high school, uh, the the joke at the, in the family at the time was I going to be able to graduate or not, mm. and and that was in 1971. Nobody believed that people my age at the time, 17 years of age, could be addicted to alcohol. Well, we now, of course, we know now that's that's not true, but uh, <clears throat> by the time I was uh, 21 years of age, I had uh, received three drunk and driving charges in a six month period. Number, number of public intoxications, totaled out two different automobiles, uh, insurance was sky high, uh, and numerous times in jail for uh, public intoxication. And then, of course, uh, a link, rather long length in jail, uh, 30 days, if you will, uh, for at my last drunken driving charge. Uh, I was fortunate. My father it was in a little farm community in Nebraska. And my father had stole chickens with the judge when they were kids instead of uh, getting uh, throwing me in prison, which he could have by the law of the state of Nebraska. He gave me an opportunity to go seek treatment. Mm, that's amazing. And here we are now, 49 years later. Right. And uh, wow, what a transformation. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I'm very, I believe I'm very fortunate and I, my pathway of recovery to the 12 steps and my higher power has been very kind to me. Uh, in, in allowing me to achieve what I've achieved in my life. That's why I, I go by Don instead of doctor, because uh, that's something I achieved. It's not who I am. Uh, I jokingly say, well, my PhD and my MBA, that and $10 somewhere will get you a cup of coffee. So <laughs> so the, I, I, I've done any number of things in the field of addiction. I started working in the field of addiction in 1977. I sobered up uh, August 20th of uh, 1974, and uh, I always say, in the, at my age now, I'm I'm older than most people that that I work with uh, 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 that they've been than they've been alive. Uh, I w I was fortunate that I was able to get my training for my alcohol and drug training at Hazelden, uh, now called Hazelden Betty Ford, and I spent a year there in their alcohol drug uh, training program. 
and then went from there and got a bachelor's degree and then went and got a master's and a, and a PhD and then an MBA for all the wrong reasons, I might add, uh, at least in the end. I, I go by Don because uh, my, my PhD and my MBA and $10 will get you a cup of coffee somewhere. Uh, my, my, uh, uh, the, the, I, I got the education at the time seemed like the right reason, but looking back, it wasn't the right reason. Uh, I've been fortunate. I've been a clinician. Uh, I've ran, uh, treatment facilities as CEO. Uh, I've been involved in corporate, uh, uh, in, uh, developing and implementing programs. So I've been very fortunate to, to work in the field of addiction and, uh, my, my entire career. Uh, I got the PhD because as a, as a, uh, as an administrator, I had to do with managed care company, managed care company wasn't even, they weren't even known until sometime in, for me anyway, I was working as a, uh, administrator in Northern, uh, Iowa. And, um, uh, my first experience with managed care was a, um, physician and a nurse came in and they discharged two thirds of my population by because they, they said no more insurance and that was the end of it and so i had 30 patients and two two thirds of them couldn't afford to be there so they left uh that was probably a rough day at work that was it was terrible i call it i it, it, it best i could ever call it it happened on a tuesday they did they just uh disenfranchised if you will 10 and then on wednesday they disenfranchised the other 10 and left us with 10 people. I called it terrible Tuesday and awful Wednesday because it was an, it was a nightmare and we had patients and families, everybody was all. So I got the PhD so I could argue, if you will, or defend people that I, that was in the facility so we could take, make sure clinically that I could argue effectively with, with the outside sources, the managed care companies. And then uh, I got the MBA so I could effectively argue with corporate people about business. And then I got all that education. It was all said and done. Nobody cared. Uh, you're like, listen, I went to school. Sit down and listen. At least just listen. You don't have to agree. You don't have to argue. You're going to listen. I was told clearly. I was told clearly by one, one of the managed care people that I dealt with years ago. They asked me if I ever heard of the golden rule. I said, yes. And I started to quote, no, no, that's not the one. We have the gold. We make the rules. So wow. I don't care what your education is, which she told me. I don't care what your background is. This is the way it works because we have the money. Did he really? And that, that, that was back in the, in the uh, probably early 90s when, when all that came about. Wow. Uh, so you guys didn't go to lunch after that, I'm assuming. Oh, no. <laughs> we didn't break any bread. I promise you that. Wow. Probably not the guy you want to, like, encourage people at the center. <laughs> Your life's never going to get better. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> yes. Captain, Captain Hope. <laughs> we had a – in the NBA, was to be able to, to deal with corporate. And, and then when it got down to having that, well, we just have a different philosophy. Our gold, we want gold and we're going to get it any way we can. And we don't care what your idea is. Uh, it, 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 I have worked I, throughout my career. I've worked for some really aggressive companies when it came to not taking care of 
uh, as far as I'm concerned, the staff and, and, and the, pay, the people that we're fortunate enough to serve, whether we call them clients, patients, or residents, depending on where, where I was at and what time of, the, of my career. But I always was a huge believer that my responsibility was to take care of the staff and, and the clients or the patients or whatever we were calling them at the time, the people that needed our services. My job was to protect them from corporate. My job was to make sure they got paid. My job was to, uh, <clears throat> that that corporate got paid and that the patients got what they needed and the staff got what they needed. And if corporate didn't get paid, that wasn't the high on my list. My mm. high on my list was take care of the staff, <clears throat> get a good, uh, uh, solid uh, uh, environment for them. And then they'll take care of the people that were fortunate enough to serve. And then the bean counters can come in and and uh, they can they can take care of the beans and count the numbers and that that worked never worked like they wanted meaning wanting more and more and more but they, every place they went it made money uh, I turned programs around uh, for a whole different variety of reasons and problems over there turned programs around and and uh, <clears throat> made money uh, one organization that I worked for the facility that I ran uh, made about uh, two and a half million dollars. Uh, the last four or five years I was there, uh, and they took a million off the top, so made three and a half million bucks. And one of the second, the second to the last year I was there, uh, I uh, was I got the CEO of the company and the uh, CFO came to came to see me, and they said, "Well, you gave away a million dollars of free care this year." I said, "Yeah." Do that again, we'll fire you. I said, you guys made three and a half million dollars or almost four. I, I don't want to do it again. We'll fire you. We're not going to argue. Okay. Next year, I gave 750000 away. <laughs> That's great. But, and, and, didn't and do a million. Didn't, didn't do a million. You can't fire me. Uh, <laughs> That's right. I can count two. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> At that point, they, what they did is <clears throat> so they could watch me. I always said they quote unquote promoted me to corporation, be a corporate person. And <clears throat> and I, I'm not a corporate person. I don't I don't think that way. I don't behave that way. And uh, <clears throat> the we we, we uh, after a couple of years in corporate, we went separate ways. I, I chuckle. I was fortunate. Uh, uh, Mary McCown, who's with the ORS and is the person that brought, my understanding, the peer movement to to Virginia, Tim Becky, uh, and what what uh, I've talked to her about when I was uh, when I, Mary McCown, which most people know, is the is the training and oversees the training for the peers and uh, for the state of Virginia, and and well brought in what the peer movement was for Virginia. She and another lady named Becky. But I was talking to Mary one day. I said, you know, peer movement officially is new. However, when I was in Minnesota and I went to a halfway house, a sober living house from Kansas to Minnesota, went through treatment Kansas, went to Minnesota, the sober living house. And I learned about Wilmer, Minnesota State Hospital. And that's where the Minnesota uh, uh, recovery or treatment started at Wilmer State Hospital. And there was Dan Anderson, and Gordon, uh, uh, Gordon, uh, Gordy Graham, and Howard Swift. Dan was PhD. Gordy was a uh, was a clergy, and and uh, Swift was an uh, LCSW. And they were trying to help 
the people who are addicted to alcohol. And they had this revolving door going on. Well, AA came to Wilmer, Minnesota, and they says, ah, let's see if we can get those people to come in and help. Should do some meetings. So they did. And then they found that the revolving door wasn't quite as intense. And then after a period of time, they hired people that had recovery that they had contacts with within the AA community in Wilmer, Minnesota, and put them in as uh, CNAs, which they weren't CNAs. They were first peers because their job was to share their experience and support the person in the areas they needed support using their skills that they learned as is is a uh, 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 as somebody who got into recovery and maintaining recovery to support that peer to be able to have that same experience. So that was back in 1957, 58. The way I got involved with problem gambling is I. Depends how you look at it. Fortunately or unfortunately, worked in Las Vegas, Nevada for 20 years. That'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> we have a couple of places there with gambling opportunities. <laughs> and probably more than one person who shouldn't be there at three in the morning. <laughs> I'm just guessing. Or on their lunch hour, they go down to local 7-Eleven and do it there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you know, with, with addiction, uh, any opportunity is an opportunity <laughs> until you realize otherwise. <laughs> But the but the deal was there in Vegas when I got there was five hundred thousand people when I left it was about two million, and I was in a twenty year period. Wow! And they, they they were like thirteen or fourteen hundred teachers short uh, when I left there to uh, to go to Washington State when I went to work for another company, and they were uh, <clears throat> they were building a uh, or opening a uh, elementary school every thirty days every 90 days a middle school and every six months a high school because That's exponential it was, growth it was, because the growth is so so rapid it was one of the fastest growing cities or it's not the fastest growing cities for years uh in the united states two reasons one because uh, the uh, <clears throat> when you when you got there there's plenty of jobs because the the casino business kept growing and then the second thing is, is housing was just dirt cheap. At that time, housing, you could buy a brand new house for $110,000. Wow. And, 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 even, and compared to other places, that was just, just cheap. So they'd have teachers that would get hired and they'd come in, male or female, didn't matter. They had, they'd come in and they'd get paid $35,000 a year. And yet if you worked in a casino as a cocktail waitress, you get paid eighty thousand a year, ninety thousand a year, or if you want to be a bartender, you can get paid basically the same. So the teachers then <clears throat> would quit teaching, get these other skill sets, keep their license, and then build up this money by these not these these reasonable cheap homes actually. And then <clears throat> and then as they are getting older, then they drop out of the out of this casino system and then go back to teaching school. But that would be five, 10, 15 years down the road for, for some of that stuff to happen. 
Wow, I could deal cards for ninety thousand a year. I know it. I know I could. <laughs> I absolutely could. I mean, look, it, it, it's black and red, and there's four suits. This is not that big of a deal. <laughs> Ace of Spades. I don't know if you know Ace of Spades shirt on, which I thought was by accident, but apparently not. I see that. <laughs> I see. It. It, it, it was it was remarkable. The, the first the, uh, the young uh, as a young person. I wasn't very, I wasn't maybe in my mid 30s at the time, young into the environment. I remember the first cocktail waitress I had for, for, uh, that I was to, to take and, and help with as, as a client. And <clears throat> I said to her, I said, you know, it's going to be real hard for you to stay sober as a cocktail waitress at the, at the casinos because you're, you're throwing all that booze around. Yeah. I said, you know, you might want to look for another job that might be beneficial to you. <clears throat> she looked at me. And she said, How? she said, did you, when you came in this morning to work, did you see that baby blue Corvette out there? Uh-huh. She says, you know, that's brand new. I said, looks new. She said, that's mine. I made $75,000 last year. How much you make? I made 24. Um, so uh, there was no way that we were going to be able to. <clears throat> and so we had, I had to learn other ways to uh, work with individuals when they went back into those kinds of environments uh, to support them get them into a part of, you know, at the time, not realizing it was peer support. It's just what you did, or I thought it's what you should do, is you connected them with people that I may have known in the community, the people that that I'd contact the HR. Who do you have in there that is in recovery? Can I get this person introduced to them? Can we, So we can develop a support system so they can go back to work, make a living, and still find recovery. Right, yeah. I guess that is a Initially, kind of a hard argument when you get the blue Corvette, but the blue Corvette doesn't do you a lot of good if your liver's failing. So it's all relative. <laughs> I, 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 it was one of those things I didn't realize at the time. I just went with what they wanted and tried to develop what I could with what they wanted and set boundaries and say, you know, I can't help you here because that's not going to help you. And let me just talk about that. Did that help you in the past? Can you tell me what it did for you? So we can talk about how you think that's going to help you now. And right. That's kind of the things that that I would do with them, and but you know, uh, reason I so I, I was very interested in in problem gambling when I was out there. Two or three reasons. One, my brother, uh, he's uh, uh, as a, he came out, spent some time uh, after he got divorced with my wife and kids, and. <clears throat> But after about three months, you know, I said, hey, man, we got to nudge you out a little bit here. You can't live with us forever. I love you. And I do. I'm very close to him. And <clears throat> come to find out after many different conversations, he had a problem gambling. So I hit right at home. And, and so I and that's part of the, the, the addiction of problem gambling. It's a hidden addiction. You, you yeah. can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't. People don't. I mean, people generally don't advertise it. Like, hi, I'm Chris. By the way, I just um, I put three mortgages on my house. And, uh, <laughs> it's I'm right. now because my car's gone. <laughs> <laughs> You're exactly. But somebody will advertise. Hey, I drank a fifth last night. Man, I tell you what, it got wild. Yes. The fights that I got into. You see this, and they're all brag. You know, that's it. Only when a person who has a problem gambling brags is when they win. Right. I took home 75 grand last night. I was hot. Tonight I'm going to hit it again. It's going to be great. Right. But they may have won they may have won 75,000. But how much did they put into the to to the machines or the tables to get that? To get that. Or 
take a look at the whole picture of the gambling. They may they may down be down actually three hundred thousand dollars, and they won seventy five. And over a period of let's say a year, they're down three hundred, and they now they get a big hit at seventy five. Well, they won money. No, you didn't. You're behind. Huh. You're still way behind. Yes. <laughs> but so, yeah, yeah. So so I, I got interested in it uh, when I was out there, in part because of my brother, but in part because the people that we would see had problems with gambling as well as substance use disorders. And <clears throat> I was lucky it came up. There was a lady out there, very very nice lady. Uh, unfortunately, she's deceased now. Uh, uh, but uh, who I give a lot of credit for my knowledge on problem gambling. Uh, her, she was a uh, psychiatrist at the local VA there, and uh, she was uh, Dr. Renee Nora. Uh, Nora, Dr. Nora uh, was she was on, she was actually for a while the national the president of the National Council on Problem Gambling, helped to develop counseling for. A certification for counseling for problem gamblers uh counseling out in, in nevada and uh what a nice lady i spent two years with her off and on and and mostly on because i would goof things up and she'd come and she'd talk to me well this way you can't do it and it works this way there's some differences done between sud and, and some nuances that i we had to learn and i had to work with the staff to teach and <clears throat> we were fortunate we were able to get a program in as a part of a substance use disorder program, and we're able to get one of the unions uh, to pay for subs uh, for problem gambling treatment. And back in those days, nobody paid for it because they didn't see it as an addiction; they saw it as an obsessive compulsive disorder. So you get pills for that, or a uh, a, a, a disorder that had to do with uh, a uh, impulse control, and so they get pills for that, <clears throat> but nothing to do with 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 a, an addiction. We now know since what two thousand. 15, I believe that that has been recognized as an addiction. Prior to that, it was whatever the, everybody saw that. Would they? Am I right when they call it a process addiction? Is that right, or a behavioral addiction? Like a difference because it's not a substance. If you're going to yeah. use "quote unquote" clinical language just for yeah for this moment in our talk. Well, you, you know, they, that's what they do call it is a process or a behavioral addiction. And you know, when when I when I am fortunate enough to educate the peers on problem gambling, we we talk about some of that uh, because the, the substance use um, problem gambling, whether you're a clinician or a peer, is the same thing. It's how which the delivery of the message. It's right. what you do with the process of what you do with what you with the individual in front of you. <clears throat> and so so you have they they had so they yes the peers do learn at least when I'm talking, it's it's uh, it's a process addiction or behavioral addiction. Uh, and right now, problem gambling is the only non-substance uh, addiction that the, uh, that the that the DSM-5 sees as an addiction. There's one coming I've been told and I've been read about, and that's gaming. And I'm, and I'm talking about video. I'd heard about that. Being yeah. uh, a lot of the a lot of uh, folks are spending a lot of time doing video games. Uh, I've even read the news where people died playing video games because they played for like four days straight and didn't eat and didn't drink, you know, water. I'm like, hello, you can put it on a pause, <laughs> get a drink of water, you keep going, you might still win. <laughs> you and I know when you when you're on that trip, yep. you know you want to keep going. And you know, I worked at a detox center. I I learned some of the science behind the, the addiction, you know, with the nucleus accumbens and the pleasure center of the brain. And 
And I think that's important stuff for peers to know too, because it's, okay. it's, it informs the story. Like yes. I was doing X because this place in the brain was doing Y. Right. And, and of course the prefrontal cortex behind, you know, the, the, your forehead that says, don't do this. It's a really bad idea. Gets overtaken by the other part that I call the eternal teenager. That like this is gonna be so much fun, man. You're such a killjoy, dude. This is gonna be great, you know. And you're like, yeah, this is gonna be great. And it doesn't end up great. But you know, I think sometimes understanding the science um, breaks that ethereal addiction is just kind of looming out there. Is this is this blob that you can't specify? What can you speak to that a little bit about the the science of sure. Sure, and and you're right. We do talk about the science. I just I just did a two day training with uh, 16 peers, and we did talk about the science. And part of that you alluded to the the prefrontal cortex. And what happens is that that gambling, gaming, what that does is it, lack of better words, it hijacks the brain. What it does, it it increases the dopamines mm-hmm. that are, and those are we all know feel good. Uh, uh, hormones that the, the body releases. And <clears throat> w- what we know is that as the person gambles and they get this euphoric response from the from the gambling because the dopamines increase, that what happens then other kinds of activities aren't as pleasurable. Uh, <clears throat> so the brain gets hijacked and if the brain wants that 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 dopamine impact again and the way that we get it if we have a a person has a problem gambling is a gamble again and see gambling is not about gambling is never about winning that that's a that's just not true because see if gambler people had a problem with gambling if it was about winning then what would happen once they win they quit so it's not about winning it's about it's about the dopamine it's about the energy between the, the the wager and the end result it's everything in between, and that's that dopamine process, and and so the chase. Yes, abs- absolutely, and and a part of a part of that, in you're a good student because some of the stuff you're talking about, the stuff that I talk about is when it comes to the brain process that because I talk about it must be good, huh? So what right. happens? <laughs> that and a, that and a cup of coffee, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. right. So, so, so what happens that the, 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 the uh, prefrontal cortex, that's where the, the decision-making occurs. That's where we start figuring out, okay, this isn't a good reason. This is, but because it's hijacked by the dopamine that goes out the door mm-hmm. and, and the reasoning drops uh, <clears throat> problem gamblers have a thing uh, called a near a near win. They get as all but the same pleasure in that process as when they win if they almost win. Imagine a slot machine and you get a seven uh, on two ends and whatever in the middle, but not quite the seven. That dopamine level goes sky high because it anticipated it was going to hit because it got so close. Now I see it as a, as a miss. But problem gamblers sit as a near win. Uh, how, how can it be a win? You, you can't be in your, you were lost. And, right. and so the thinking process has changed as the gambling can continues to grow on. And <clears throat> so that dopamine increases and, and, and then pretty soon what happens, there's so much dopamine receptor sites that have been built because the brain's going to do it as protect itself. And the, <clears throat> and the, and the middle brain or the primitive brain starts 
sending out more signals. No, 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 no. You know, I want that. I want that feeling. I want to feel good. I want to take this risk. Right. And the brain, the upper brain going, oh, and pretty soon, if you will, it caves. It just gives in. It gives in. And then what has to happen is that we have to develop different pathways of pleasure so we don't have to have that dopamine pleasure pathway to the extreme that we have when people are problem gambling. And that takes some time um, and, and a lot of hard work. But the effort is put in, then the success is one piece, one small uh, part at a time. Things will get better. Would you say that, you know, we talk about uh, as peers, we want to end the stigma, end the stigma, end the stigma, which is yeah. a, a noble goal and we absolutely should. Right. Do you find that when you deal with folks struggling with, with gambling addiction, that if you, in addition or weaving in the story about, you know, powerlessness or, or um, having having um, something in your life go awry where you needed recovery, in this case, if we're talking about gambling, that sometimes the science helps to assuage uh, some of the shame, some of the guilt, it doesn't necessarily take away responsibility for action, but says there's a really, really, really identifiable reason why you're doing what you're doing, which isn't just your, you know, worthless, more worthless than a rock. Then that's absolutely true. Uh, that's why I, I, I try to spend time when, when I do the training with the peers, giving them information about the, the, the different types of the three levels of the brain and what that prefrontal cortex really does and, and, and how that is hijacked. You know, one of the things that we know, for example, when <clears throat> that when a person, the sooner, the, the earlier that they're uh, introduced to gambling, the greater the opportunity for them to become uh, later on alive having a problem with gambling. Because <clears throat> if you think about it, most of us don't take a fifth of booze or bourbon and plunk it in the middle of the table in front of our 10-year-old son or daughter and say, hey, come on, let's get drunk together. Certainly not. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Certainly not. It's not the preferred method of parenting. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Frowned on. <laughs> so, but what we'll do, and and I've heard people talk about this, they will bring a lottery ticket home for the ten-year-old to play, for Christmas, for birthday, or just for the fun of it to be a part of what mom and dad's doing. Grandma will bring it in. So what they're doing is they're they're really setting that that young person up. Because their their brain's now becoming accustomed to what that lottery ticket's going to do versus riding a bike or playing ball or 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 whatever. I'm seventy, so whatever young people do today. Uh, right, right. So so uh, that that brain becomes more dependent, if you will, on the uh, on the on the outside stimulus, and that's and that's the gambling. Uh, even though it's it's uh, not, people often don't think lottery is a form of gambling, but it is. Oh, sure. People don't think bingo is a form of gambling, but it is. Because gambling, simply put, is I have something I'm willing to wage on a particular process to get something that you may have. And I'm willing to risk that for this process to get to get, to get get something f f that you have. That's all gambling is. Which is, reminds me of the statement when someone would say, someone would say, I mean, I'm not a gambling man, but if I was, I'd gamble <laughs> on that. Right, the sure win. Yeah, know? right, right. Yeah, it's, it's so yeah. By so by by telling people about the brain chemistry, I do believe it helps. Uh, it, it, it's not an excuse, 
but at least it's an awareness that there's something not innately wrong with me, that I'm not inferior. Exactly. And and, and unfortunately, with gambling addiction, it is such a hidden addiction because you can't hear it, you can't see it, you can't smell it. Uh, It is it is something that that you can't do a a toxicology test on. Uh, It's generally done alone, uh, even if you're at the casinos. Uh, because it's not like sitting at a bar, throwing them back and talking to your buddy. If a person has a problem with gambling, they're going to be focused on the gambling. They don't want to talk to anybody because they don't want, they don't want that, that energy messed with. And so when, when we look, when you, when you look at the gambler, they, they have a fallacy. They believe that past events will predict future ones. And, 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 and that, Past events will predict, prevent, will predict future ones of the same of the same thing. Meaning that that problem gamblers have a system. Everyone that I've dealt with in my entire career, every one of them had a system. They're all systems are similar or dissimilar. It doesn't matter. But they know their system will work because they it worked this time, and given enough time, it will work again. Now maybe three years, but it will work again. How much do you lose between now and then working again? That 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 that's right. That's right. And 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 remember that each time they win, even a little bit or near a near win, and they're thinking that dopamine is activated, which solidifies the belief. Yes, that's it. They're called they're called magical beliefs, and right. most thinking errors, I, whatever you want to call them, I I, I call them. I interchange it between magical beliefs and. And untruths. When you when you talk with someone with a lead, you know, with a, with a gambling addiction or issue, what what's something that you say that might shake them up, but that is not shaking up to hurt them, but is is yeah. shaking that magical belief with some truth that can right. lead to a breakthrough? Well, I, it, it, let's say that their their uh, belief is about a particular about machines. Eighty uh, percent of people who gamble, gamble, use the machines. It's not the table games. And 80, the same percentages work for people who have problem gambling. 80% of them are doing the, the machines. And they have a lot of false beliefs about the machines, such as if they say, play the machine at a specific time of day at a, at a specific uh, place, <clears throat> and that what will happen, they will win. So, so I asked him, okay, let's talk about that. Have you ever lost there? Well, yeah. Well, let's talk about then that particular place and that particular time. How come that's so lucky if you if you lose? I'm guessing at that point in the conversation, they're not enjoying themselves. <laughs> well, they, 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 they look at me, well, but I'll eventually win. I say, okay, how much money... How much money do you think you you've uh, lost over a period of the last, let's say, five years was a gambling history? Five years of gambling. Well, you know, I hadn't thought about. It. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'd like you to do an assignment for it and bring it back, and I'd like you to identify how much money you believe that you've lost. And however, you come up with it. You, you might want to look at your checkbook. You you might want to look at your credit cards. You might want to look at how many credit cards you have, and how many of them are are uh, no longer uh, you're not paid on them, and they're and they're 
uh, you, you can't b- b- borrow on them anymore. So however you get to it, and we'll talk about it. <clears throat> so then they get to do some thinking about, well, this credit card, I will this, 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 and this, and this. Well, wait a minute. And, and, and uh, so then bring it back. And okay, so I started out with one person. She had $5,000 within about four visits. She had uh, actually had $85,000 on credit card debt. She started with 5000 and how long she got 85000 Well, in four weeks, then we identified she had 85000 in debt. Not oh just five thousand. Just wow, she had missed eighty thousand. <laughs> she was in debt. <laughs> wow. just, you know, it's, it's, and, and that's how we let's take a look at your credit cards. So that machine at that time of the day really hasn't been very lucky for you. So let's talk when we talk about the then I talk about the gambler's fallacy and how that's that that's 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 uh, that's a part of the thinking here that you believe on a on a Tuesday afternoon at 10 o'clock or at two o'clock, you can play this machine at this casino, for example, and <clears throat> that it will be successful. How many times have you done that? And now you see your credit cards are maxed out and you're this much into debt. Hmm. And so <clears throat> that she, she started to see some of that. And so it's a, like chip and a piece at a time. Uh, <clears throat> so they can, so they can begin to see that, that the, their, 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 their system isn't successful. With problem gamblers, the key of working with them is money, because that's that's the substance that drives it. But they don't have money; they can't gamble. Right. And and so the key is the money. And 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 when you look at the research, people who have a problem with gambling as as a whole, when they end up in some kind of help. Uh, would generally have between one hundred and thirty-five and one hundred and seventy thousand dollars in debt. Well, well you, you, one of the things that that I, I wanted to make sure that we had a couple moments to talk about sure. is that gambling. Imagine gambling. People who have a problem with gambling and they're involved with somebody in a in a, in a, uh, a relationship that they've determined to be monogamous. That person. That. Other person, when this when it all comes out, they have a seventy eight percent chance of going separate ways, divorce, mm. because it's like being married to somebody for twenty years, and then on the twentieth on the on the twenty first year you find out that person's been cheating on you the whole twenty years with the same person. Yeah, that's it's hard to come back from. Right, and so the family devastation is so incredible because it's got to do with the finances how can you ever trust him or her again with the money? Yeah. And how do, and if these credit cards, uh, we're in a state that we both have to pay for these, whether it's in your name or my name. Now, how in the world is a husband, well, I'm going to have to pay off $80,000 in credit cards, for example. That'll create resentment. Yep. So that, that, so, Hey, we're going to go through divorce and, and you did that. And my attorney's going to make your attorney. You get, it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy. I know a lady <clears throat> who's, Husband died. He had a problem with gambling, and she's still paying the gambling debts off, even though he's been dead two or three years. Wow! And you, so you don't have that happen with alcohol and other substances, right? Because the finances are so so incredible, and the damage to the family is so incredible. Uh, and that that goes along with the idea that with problem gambling, there is such a staggering amount of restitution. You got to pay this back. 
to the family, to the friends, if if you've stolen money from work or whatever, you don't get you don't get off on that. You you gotta pay that back. Right. And and you heard of drug courts, most of us have. Well, there's only one gambling court that I'm aware of in the state of in the United States, and that's in Nevada. No other state has a gambling court that functions like a, a, a drug court except for the state of Nevada. Really? Because the, the, the criminal justice system sees the gamblers as thieves, as, as poor moral care. They go to prison. You think about it. So if I, I had a guy when I was in Nevada who was a uh, vice president of, of a, one of the casinos, not top vice president, but in a particular area. And he uh, did a, uh, an accounting degree and a master's in finance, and he got caught uh, taking money from the company. He had about $140,000, $150,000, and they caught him. And so, well, the casino wants what? Money. They, they want their money, and they want him to be punished. The laws are you can't do that. Right. And, and so – before they all went to court, we worked with him a little bit and and really paying a lot of attention to his his wanting to self harm, and and what happens is that he went ahead and he lost his wife over the situation, he lost his family, uh, he had stolen money from and I use that word stolen money from the kids, the school uh, allowance that the, he and the wife had put together for years. And then the kid was getting the youngest, oldest one was getting ready to go to college in a year. Uh, he was going to senior year. Wife didn't pay any attention to that. that. He had the financial background. He was the CPA. He'd stolen all the money out of there except for a few hundred. So it had been thousands of dollars. And wow. so he, get, he divorced at home. And then the, he got caught with the, the embezzlement. <clears throat> and so we had to pay real close attention to him. But he went to prison. And when he got out of prison, he, he couldn't be licensed as a CPA. No casino was going to keep him. So how was he ever going to earn enough money to pay back that $140,000 restitution? He was going to pay that back until he died. Wow. So the devastation because of the finances is so incredible that it is hard to imagine digging yourself out of that. That's a huge hole. That's a, a huge hole. And even if it's 50000 I mean... My wife come home tonight and say, you know, you got a, I got a problem with gambling. Here's 10 credit cards. It's $10,000. And we got to pay for them. Huh? <laughs> uh, let me cut the TV off. And so the American Disability Act, that doesn't apply to problem gamblers. It applies to people with mental health challenges and to people with substance use disorders, but, but not to a problem gamblers. Wow. So there's 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 just and it's hard a lot to of find. growth that needs to happen. Well, that's right. That's right. It's hard to find people and organizations and clinicians that understand problem gambling to provide recovery or provide treatment that because just the people just don't know what to do. And because it's usually seen as somebody's like they're just greedy, they're money hungry. That's it. That, that's that's right. That's right. That's a, and and then the other the other thing is that. Um, you think about it, there's no one entity that throughout the United States that covers gambling as, as an agency or as an organization. Each state has different rules and different people who govern. Two states, the United States, the only two, Utah and uh, Hawaii, that don't have legalized gambling, lottery or anything, it's, I think because of the Mormon influence. 
but mm-hmm. but the other 48 states have something. And in the state of Virginia, we have four different agencies that take care of the different gambling uh, venues we have. And in some states, there is under one umbrella, but but their rules are different than Virginia's. Virginia's are different than the Nevada's. And, and so it's not consistent. Yeah, you don't have a governing body, which then helps everybody kind of get on the same page. Exactly. You've got uh, you know got like municipalities and localities and all that and states and see things differently and so no standard uniform of care and, and understanding it sounds like it's it's well it goes back to when you were saying that problem gambling now is a lot like what alcoholism uh, recovery was in the seventies right kind of kind of sometimes throwing it against the wall and see what sticks and and yeah because you you didn't know we had all kinds of things that we did that that didn't really work out uh, we now know that. Uh, I know it's different. My first foray into gambling, I should say my first and really probably only foray into gambling, I uh, was in high school. I was a senior and we had a class trip, so we went to the Bahamas. So we go to the Bahamas and I didn't really want to be there, but we go to the Bahamas and I go to the, uh, I guess it was the blackjack table. So I go and play blackjack. And I win 75 bucks. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, 75, yeah. I'm like, yeah, let's do this again, baby. Boom. There goes the 75 bucks. <laughs> Thankfully, I was smart enough to walk away at that point. But it, I remember that lesson. And it was like, I guess it was that dopamine. It's also that teenage brain. Oh, yeah. With the dopamine, is like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm going to do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And, you know, I walked away and, you know, like, yeah, no. <laughs> but I can see how the fallacy can happen, too, because I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, you know, Powerball gets to be a billion and millions of people play it, but somebody has to win and someone does at some right. point, so, which is a fact. So you could see how easy it is to go from just that little fact, twist it just a little bit, and now you've got magical thinking. Yes, yes. You know, because yes. somebody did win. So, yeah. you know, why can't I? Well, y- you might, but it's a very, very, very tiny, 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 tiny chance. And see, but then all see. they need to go is, well, you're saying there's a chance. That's right. That's right. Remember, it's it's. I almost won. I was one. I I was one number off. I almost won, and that old brain's just got, just moving along hundred miles an hour. Yeah, with that dopamine. That's going, man. Next yeah. time, for sure. For me, I I don't I don't play any of that stuff. But it's real simple. I don't see that I almost won. I lost. I, I, when I went, when when I moved to Vegas, we played poker at home and you know grandpa and his pennies we'd win they were still his pennies and we played over play craps with his pennies it was his pennies so we always kept them but we learned to do that as a kid when i went out to vegas and moved out there i, I gambled once in my entire time out there i was out there 20 years i haven't been there very long so i went and played the slot machine and in less than 15 minutes my 20 bucks was gone and i'm depressed i'm going for a crying out loud I could have had my favorite food in the world is pizza. I could have had a pizza and a soda and I could have been watching a cowboy show instead of sitting here 20 minutes later feeling like this. This is not fun. And no. my my brother, what happened to him, he played blackjack. He had two $20 bills. He took and put the 20, spent the 20, <clears throat> ended up with 200. He maintains that was his hook. He said there was nothing he, that he chased that the entire uh, uh, six months he lived there. Because of what happened that one time? 
Wow. That's that triggered the whole thing for him. He knew that if he could do it once or if it could happen once, because let's be honest, it's not us doing anything. I mean, the cards are going to fall where they are. You're not magically making that card happen. It just the guy pulls it or the woman pulls it. Bang, there it is on the table. And yeah. and, and, and it's interesting they'll do it. My brother still says what he always tried to do was it was the last one to get dealt so he could see all the cards. Now, the craziness is they're playing four decks in a shoe. And that's how the deal is from that shoe. You can't count for it. It's impossible. My brother's a pretty bright guy. I'm, I don't mean that because he's my brother. He's a pretty bright guy. And and uh, uh, <clears throat> he couldn't count them. That's like 208 cards. <laughs> okay. It, I mean, you have this. I mean, it's 52, right? I mean, it's 52 cards in a deck, and it's four decks, right? Yeah. If yeah. my math is right, I'm not that great at math, but I think that's right. That's a lot of cards. 28 cards is right. I mean, there's no way he could keep track of what this one got, and this one got, and this one got, and what could be in the show. It was impossible, but he no. thought he could work out a system. Wow. And he did. His system was uh, he went to a particular casino on a particular night, sat at a particular table, and tried to find the same dealer because that's where he got lucky. Problem gamblers have this belief they have this personal relationship with luck. Right. And they don't anymore anybody else. And he's been he hasn't gambled since the 90s now. And in the about two years ago, he found he was looking for years to get a 1971 charger. And he'd been looking around and didn't want this, but finally got one. He said, I got lucky. I found the one I wanted. I said, How many years did you look for it? Or two or three years? How's that got to do with luck? That meant you did a lot of work, but see, even then now his thinking is the same way. Right. Yeah. He's still, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's a, I can see how it can be a world crushing thing for someone with problem gambling when that reality kind of hits of, oh my gosh, I've been, I've really been playing myself and not realizing I've been playing myself because my brain, because of the addiction has, has brought its own trickery to my the other part of my brain and now you can see where that's where shame and guilt comes in because it's like oh so stupid I, why don't you see that nobody else does this you're an idiot blah 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 a negative self-talk and then that's where you know I, I think i'm sure you as a as a peer can come in and say no 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 no, no. there's uh, this isn't about us this isn't about a worth thing as mm -hmm. a human being mm -hmm. you have worth just because you exist mm -hmm. this is about a, a a behavior that that has is not life-giving to you and, and and we all know that it all starts out in the brain yes in 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 once in a while somebody had said to me well how come my brain worked that way but someone else's didn't i said well how come how come some of us seem to have if you take an iq test or tests are much higher than others just the way we are how come right. i have brown eyes and you have blue eyes yeah i i sometimes tell people i go if, if you don't believe the brain is powerful. Just remember this: the brain named itself. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's what you're dealing with. I thought of that. That's exactly. I named me. My God, that's an important part of all the. All right, the I, I, yeah, I mean, you think about it, and, and even in our conversation, we are using the brain to talk about how the brain doesn't work in certain areas, but certain areas of the brain does work. And right. The brain's pretty powerful. We gotta, you know, we treat it with care, handle it with care, and humility. Not humiliation, but humility, because it will humble you quickly when it decides to do not so great things. Yes. <clears throat> and, and and the other thing is, it's kind of, if you want to kind of end some of this, <clears throat> is yeah. there, was a, there was a study out of the University of Chicago 
on on 75 people who had committed suicide and they did a psychological autopsy and what they found that these all these 75 people uh had a problem gambling they had been treated for substance use disorder uh alcohol or other drugs they've been treated for mental health challenges anxiety depression but none of them had been treated for problem gambling because they didn't get the questions asked Mm. because in all in, in all the years I've done what I've done with Joint Commission uh, accreditation of healthcare organizations, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, the state of Virginia, DBDHS, and I'm not bad-mouthing, it's just the whole system works that way. Uh, TRICARE, uh, <clears throat> there's no questions on any of those assessments about gambling. There's question about depression. There's question about anxiety. There's questions about suicide. There's questions about past attempts. There's questions about alcohol usage. There's questions about drug usage. Question about what kind of medications you are. Go to your physician. Go to your dentist. Go to your caregiver of any kind, and that they're not going to ask you about the gambling. They'll ask you all these other questions, but they don't say. So, so, so tell me, Chris. Tell me about. Tell me about your gambling. Why don't gamble? Never. Well, no, not never. Okay, how often do you gamble, Chris? You're right. They don't. And and so the, the and so what happens is that that whole piece is missed. And as a result, let's say that you you have a problem with gambling, you have a problem with depression. You can certainly intervene with the depression and support and support and, and give encouragement and give in different ways to think and you can be. But if you're continuing to gamble, the depression can't get any better. And the same thing with substance use, the same thing with anxiety. And, 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 and so uh, uh, approximately 25, no, actually 45% of people that are problem gamblers have thought about suicide, and the rate is about anywhere between 19 and 22%. So this is a life, this is a life or death deal. Yes, it's, it's very, and in in this in the, the in, but we're we're make we're going to make progress. Uh, I'm too old to be around to see much of it, but we're going to make we're been because we've made some progress. Sure, yeah, I've, I've always hope because here I am talking to you. Yeah. I got hired by the state to to implement information to the peer force about problem gambling. They didn't have that three years ago. That's a big move. That's a big. That, that you're taking the ball forward quite a bit. So in 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 closing our time, um, it, and that's a perfect segue. I was going to ask if someone here, when someone hears this podcast, whether it's a peer support worker or or a peer supports um, just another peer, and they hear this and they go, "I have a problem," or "I know somebody that does," yeah. what's their next step? Who do they call? Who do they contact? It's a real simple one eight hundred gambler. Pretty easy. 1-800-G-A-M-B-L-E-R, correct? That's correct. And that's the, the Virginia Problem Gambling Helpline. And there are peers that are handling that line that can uh, can uh, talk to families or to, to the problem gambler themselves and help engage them into some kind of care. Uh, <clears throat> there, uh, people can get, uh, even if, if they don't have any money uh, <clears throat> and their insurance or their insurance won't pay, there are funds for people to get care free for problem gambling. That's awesome. 
from peers to help as well as for clinicians or uh, family members. It's all part of it. Well, that's that's amazing. Um, uh, Dr. McCourtney, also known as Don, <laughs> preferably Don, uh, I want to thank you for, for being here today and all the wisdom you've shared from your own personal experience uh, in going in recovery and then, uh, you know, by proxy, your, your brother and then all of the time you spent in academics and business and all of that to come to this place now where you're helping folks with, with the problem gambling. It's a, a wonderful service that you're doing. And again, to those who are listening, if there's someone you know who has a problem with gambling, or maybe you who are listening, there's hope. The number you can call is 1-800-GAMBLER, G-A-M-B-L-E-R. And uh, it's confidential. Um, and is it 24-7, 365? Are there certain hours? 24-7, 365. Okay, so three o'clock in the morning, if you're feeling it, call them. They're there for you. You bet. I'd like to thank our listeners for listening to the Peer into Recovery podcast, which is brought to you by the Virginia Peer Recovery Specialist Network and Mental Health America Virginia. And if you like our show and would like to subscribe to the podcast, please visit our website at www.vprsn.org. And please leave us a brief review on iTunes. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, everyone. We'll see you soon.